Christ is risen. Amen. Amen. Well, I would uh, invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. One of the things that uh, if, if you've been coming to Rivermont for a while, you know is that we're dedicated to preaching through books of the Bible on a regular basis. And uh, we've been preaching through the book of 2 Kings. And yesterday at our Easter egg hunt, I won't reveal who it was, but I overheard a conversation of somebody going, he's going to be in the Old Testament for uh, Easter Sunday? (laughs) And our conviction and our commitment is that all of God's Word speaks of Christ. That there is not a sharp divide between Old Testament and New Testament but that all of it speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ and in particular of His victory over the grave. And so we will be in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37 this morning. If you are using the Pew Bible, that is on page 309, 309 of your Pew Bible. Now, if you have come here this morning and you don't own your own personal Bible, we would love to give you one. We have a stack of free Bibles that are out in the narthex. And if after the service you would like to pick one up, we would love for you to grab one so that you can read through God's Word and continue, hopefully, to study God's Word with us Sunday in and Sunday out. Now, it is difficult to imagine a more hopeless situation than that of our Christian brothers and sisters who are in Ukraine this day. Valroy Zador Onzny is a pastor, and he is a New Testament lecturer at the Evangelical Reform Seminary in Kiev. And in an article that he wrote for Table Talk magazine this past week, he wrote of the reality of life for Ukrainian pastors In the midst of this war, he said there are some pastors and churches that are under fire in Kiev every day and need the prayers of God's people. There is the pastor of Holy Trinity Presbyterian Church in Kiev, Pastor Ivan, with his family and another reformed pastor in Kiev, Pastor Sergei, who reported that his young son recently asked him, Dad, if Putin kills us. Will we surely go to heaven? And he reassured his son, yes, son, of course, we'll go to heaven. He goes on to write, we understand very well that we need a miracle because of the prevailing enemy. Russia still has a lot of resources and still has a lot of soldiers to throw to their death. And they have nuclear weapons. But our hope is only in God. And we need a miracle to withstand the threat we face to prevent our destruction. Reports out of Ukraine speak of churches that have been riddled with gunfire and shrapnel, churches that have been hit by artillery fire, churches that have been completely destroyed. We are grateful that this Easter we can gather 
unencumbered by health restrictions, but we are also saddened by the reality that many of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world must gather in fear amidst rubble and destruction if they are able to gather at all. It has been a difficult two years, globally, nationally, and locally. The pandemic has created political, social, and family tension. Emotional health markers reveal that more and more Americans are feeling anxious, depressed, and even hopeless this day. Disease, social unrest, political upheaval, economic uncertainty, and war have all combined to create a situation where many of us are searching for answers this Easter morning. Answers to how we might have hope in a world that seems ever more hopeless. And maybe that's why you are here this morning. Maybe you are here to find an answer to that very question. You look at the world and you feel that with each passing news cycle, that there is more hardship, more tragedy piling one upon another. And you think, is there any reason to have hope in this world? In our passage for this Easter Sunday, we come to an Israelite woman who encountered a hopeless world. And the hopelessness of her situation made her reluctant to even dare believe that God could bring her relief. Yet what we will see is that those who trust in the God of resurrection can have hope even in a seemingly hopeless world. So hear now the word of the Lord. Second Kings chapter four, beginning in verse eight. One day, Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time, the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon 
And then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon or Sabbath. She said, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she went, set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, Tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. O God of life and life everlasting, we come to you on this Resurrection Sunday. And we praise you that your word teaches us over and over and over again that because you are the God of life and life everlasting, that in this world we always have hope. May we hear your word read and preached and receive it, trusting in your Son, Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. In the first several verses of our text for this morning, we're introduced to this righteous woman, this righteous Israelite woman. The prophet Elisha, we read, would stay at her home when he had passed through this area. And eventually she decided, along with her husband, to build a guest bedroom for Elisha when he came into town. As we just read, Elisha 
in response, wanted to show his appreciation for her hospitality and asked, what can I do for you? Can I speak to the king? Can I speak to the commander of the army that you might receive a blessing for your hospitality to us? But she puts off the question, basically saying, I'm well off. I'm with my people. Everything is fine. I don't need anything. And yet there was a deep heart desire. There was something that she wanted, but she wouldn't dare even ask for it. She wouldn't even dare hope for it. And even when Elijah promises her a child, she says in verse 16, No, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. Now we need to take a step back and ask the question, why is it that Barrenness, being unable to have a child was such a hopeless situation for this Israelite woman that she would not even hope to receive a child. Well, I think that we can all understand the emotional desire to have a child. And of course, that is a major reason why not having a child is difficult. And yet, on top of this emotional hardship were other difficulties that compounded the struggle. A male child would bring financial security. He was kind of like the social security of the day for parents. If a husband died and there was an aging widow who had no son to care for her physical needs, she would be in quite a desperate situation. And this lady, we are told in the text, had an aging husband and had no child. There was also social stigma attached to a woman who could not have a child. An assumption was made that something must be wrong. Maybe she had sinned and the Lord was punishing her. And finally, there was a religious problem when an Israelite could not bear a son. For the Lord had promised that He would bring salvation not only to Israel, but to the whole world through the offspring of an Israelite woman. He promised that He would raise up a child who would destroy the works of the enemy, even death itself, and establish God's eternal kingdom. And while any particular child might not be that actual promised Savior, it was a threat to the kingdom of God if Israelite mothers were not able to bring forth male children. Do you see why she did not even want to hope for a son And when Elisha promises a son, she was hesitant to even believe it. This is how hopelessness works in our hearts and in our minds. You think to yourself, life is never going to get any better than this. There is no future for me. No one and nothing can help improve my situation. Because hope is the expectation that the future will bring blessing and joy. Hopelessness looks to the future and says, there is no chance for my joy. And to have hope in a seemingly hopeless world, we must not look to our situation, but we must look to a God who mercifully brings satisfaction to His people. Despite all the outward alarm bells and warning signs that are flashing, that disaster is ahead, that it's only going to get worse, we are called upon to look to the Lord who promises good. For throughout the Word of God, the Lord has brought relief to those who could not have children. 
He gave Isaac to Sarah, Jacob to Rebekah, Joseph to Rachel, Samuel to Hannah, John to Elizabeth. And in each of these situations, the Lord brought a hope to a hopeless situation. That is not to say that if you trust in God, that He will give you everything in exactly what you ask Him. He's not a magic genie. Nevertheless, He will bring joy and goodness to those who hope in Him. And sometimes, He brings joy and satisfaction by giving a barren woman the gift of a child. My wife's cousin had been married for more than 15 years and was unable to have a child in that time. They had tried every medical intervention that they felt was ethical and nothing worked. And so, when she turned 40 years old, her and her husband decided it was time to accept the inevitable reality. Got it? I saw it flying around. No resurrection for that bug. All right. (laughs) Pull it back in, people. Cousin, 15 years, no child. This is great, because when she turned 40 years old and said, it's inevitable, a few months later, she became pregnant with her son, who's now 11 years old. She did nothing to earn this child, but God mercifully, decided to give to her hope in a world that seemed hopeless. And to this aging Israelite woman with an aging husband, the Lord in His grace mercifully provided a son to her. There's no indication that this boy would ever be a major character in redemptive history like Isaac or like Jacob or like Joseph or like John. Rather, this baby boy was merely a display of God's abounding mercy and kindness to bring satisfaction to a faithful servant. This Easter Sunday, if you're feeling like you have no future, that there is no way for you to take one more step forward God's Word is calling you to trust in the Lord. Maybe your hopelessness is coming from a financial situation and you are buried in debt and you see no way out. Maybe it's a physical hopelessness. There's disease or injury. And as you age, you look and you realize that there is no hope for recovery. Maybe your hardship is relational. There is a conflict that you have with your parents or with your children or between husband and wife, and you think, I cannot see any path forward where this relationship is going to receive healing. Or maybe it's emotional. Cycles of depression and anxiety in which you just see your future as continuing to go deeper and deeper and deeper down the pit. We are called this day to look To the Lord who mercifully brings satisfaction to His people. 
Not in a magical way, not in an easy way, but to look to the God who is merciful and kind and gives us a hope for the future. For His Word says He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Or as our Lord Jesus Christ said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. In a popular show that I'm sure many of you have watched about a perennially underperforming English soccer team, The fans have a saying to help them deal with their mediocrity. They say it's the hope that kills you. Don't have hope that your team will do any better. Because if you have hope, that hope is only going to be crushed by the inevitable failures that are to come. And many of us operate out of this mindset. If you don't have hope then the inevitable difficulties of life won't be disappointing. When others are feeling disappointed and feeling lost, you can smugly say, well, shouldn't have gotten your hopes up. It's the hope that kills you. And this may have been how this Shunammite woman felt when the son that she was so mercifully given was so mysteriously taken away. Look down, beginning in verse 18, we see as this plays out, verse 18, it says there, when the child had grown, so she had had this child for a while, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him up and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. Even as we live in a world where there is grace and mercy given, where children are born and health is restored, we also live in a world where disease and war and death steal away our joy. There are stories of miraculous children born to couples who believe that they could never conceive. But there are also couples who never do conceive. And there are parents who lose their children. And there are children who lose their parents. Over this past year, we have seen up close the reality of death. We have seen it with death from COVID and from cancer and from age. And this sorrow is not just an abstract sorrow. For today marks the first Easter since the loss of a loved one for many of us who gather here this day. So how then can you have hope in a world where there is such sorrow? Well, again, one approach says, don't be fooled by this world. Don't give in to the temptation to hope. Another says, ignore the sorrow as long as possible. Sure, other people are struggling But they must have done something to deserve it. They must have stepped out of line some way. If I keep my head down and I wear my seatbelt and I eat organic, nothing bad is going to happen to me. Right? If I follow all the rules that are out there, then I will be just fine. But neither approach leads to peace. One is nihilism and the other is just naivete. The only true way to have hope in a world of hardship is to hope in the God who mysteriously brings 
this sorrow. In the driveway of our home, we have a weeping cherry tree. And under the tree is a marker that says, Though he caused grief, yet he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Lamentations 3.32 And this marker is a reminder to our family of a daughter that we lost before she was born. A little girl we named Compassion, who lived inside her mother and before God for four to five months. And then the Lord mysteriously took her life. And we named her Compassion to remind us that the Lord had caused us grief, yet the Lord will bring and have compassion upon us. He will sanctify to us even our deepest distress. And some might say that her death was an accident. It was a random act of biology. Or they might suggest that this is the work of the enemy. God would not cause a child, an innocent child, to die. But there, listen to this, there is no hope in this fallen world if chance or if Satan is in control. There is no hope if we believe the sorrows of our lives are just the result of uncontrollable, malevolent forces against us. If you would have hope in this world, not some fake Disneyland world, but this world where there is sorrow and hardship and struggle, you have to trust in the sovereign, all-controlling God who mysteriously brings sorrows into our lives. The God who causes griefs. The God who brings war. The God who brings diseases and pandemics. The God who even takes away a child that He so mercifully had given. Even as Job proclaimed on the day when his children were taken from him, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you want to have hope in a world where there will be sorrow? then you have to place your hope in the God who mysteriously brings these sorrows, trusting that though He has caused grief, yet He will have compassion. That He is the God who wounds and the God who heals. That He is the God who kills. And He is the God who makes alive. You see, if you would have hope in this world then you must hope in the God who mercifully brings satisfaction to His people. You must hope in the God who mysteriously brings sorrow. And the final thing I want us to see this morning in our text is that we must hope in the God who miraculously brings salvation. Once this poor woman sees that her son has died, she runs straight to the prophet Elisha. She makes haste to go straight to him and to implore him to bring life back to her son. We read that Elisha promptly returns and then he does something rather odd. Look at verse 34 and following. It says, Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself upon him the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up 
and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. What's going on in this scene? Is this some sort of ancient Near Eastern form of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation? Well, what is happening is that the Lord is miraculously bringing salvation through the life of His prophet. The Lord had given this life, this child, and it was only the Lord who would bring this child back to life. While the Lord used the prophet, it was God alone who could bring one back from the dead. And if we would have hope in this world that seems hopeless, we must trust in the God who miraculously brings salvation, the God of life and resurrection. Because there are boundaries that we cannot cross. There are places that we cannot go to save. A mother can care for her child. A father can provide for the needs of his sons and his daughters. But once the line of death is crossed, there is nothing that we as human beings can do to go and rescue those who have died. Nevertheless, God is not bound by death, but can restore to us all that has been lost. This hope is not something that is merely abstract or philosophical. And that is what we especially remember on Easter Sunday. For on this day, we celebrate the life, the death, and the resurrection of a son. This was a son given miraculously, but this time not to a barren woman, but to a virgin. This son grew and eventually was taken. He was hanged upon a cross and he died and he was buried and he remained in the grave for three days. But on Sunday morning, this man rose again. On Sunday morning, this man conquered the grave and destroyed death itself. You see, this is ultimately how you have hope in a world that seems hopeless. You place all your trust in the Son who was given, in the Son who was taken, and in the Son who rose again. For you place your whole hope and faith in Jesus Christ because He died and because He now lives. And because He lives, life is never without hope. There is no hardship or tragedy that can push you into a realm beyond the hope of the resurrection. For death has been overcome. Now you might believe that you are too far gone from the Lord. That you are too far separated from Him. You might feel that you are too rebellious. That you are too angry. That you are too sinful. That you are too broken. But the resurrection means that there is always hope. The resurrection means that though you are dead, yet you shall live. For even as the prophet Elisha joined himself to this young boy to bring life back to his body, so too does Christ join himself to those who trust in him. He becomes one with his people so that his death becomes their death and his resurrection life becomes their resurrection life. And in joining us to Himself, the victory He won over the grave becomes our victory and our miraculous salvation. And therefore, you must place all of your faith, all of your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to have hope in this world. 
For by His life you are given satisfaction. By His death you are given forgiveness of sin. And by His resurrection you are given victory over death and life everlasting. Pastor Valerie concludes this update that he gave on the state of the church in Ukraine with these words. He says, We believe we'll come out as victors. For we know that evil is defeated by the cross and the resurrection of our Lord. We know that whatever our enemies do to us, we will be resurrected because God has united us with Christ. Therefore, we celebrate the victory of our Lord. The main battle took place. The main enemy was defeated by the cross. So pray for us, dear brothers and sisters. Pray for our people to withstand, to survive, to forgive. For our hope is only in the Lord. How do you have hope in this seemingly hopeless world? You hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. For the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our only hope in this world of disease and war and death because it is in Christ alone that we have healing, forgiveness, peace, and that we will be raised to life and to life everlasting. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you on this day. We praise you. Because you are the God of mercy. You are the God who works mysteriously. And you are the God who works miraculously. To bring about life. And life everlasting. We pray, O God. That as we encounter the hopelessness of this world, that we might shine brightly as lights in this dark world because we have a hope that can never be killed. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.